So my motto during that time was every single day I had to talk to people. And that it, it's so easy when we work behind a computer to go an entire day and not connect with people, to not leave our house, to you know, basically hide out and do our thing. And for me, especially, like, I am completely an introvert. So to the fellow introverts, like, this is not an excuse. You still need to do it. What I'm about to say might not be popular with online business gurus or internet marketing bros, but it's true. You can have a lean, mean, extremely profitable small business without playing the online business game. This is What Works, a show about how small businesses really work. And I'm your host, Tara McMullen. I've seen more and more entrepreneurs in the online space opting out of quote unquote traditional online business models. Some are pivoting to high touch services. Some are doing business locally. Some are developing physical products like apparel, planners, or home goods. We've made it a point to highlight as many of these kinds of businesses on what works as possible. And today's show is no exception. My guest this week is Maggie Patterson, the founder of Scoop Studios, a digital marketing consultancy. Now, earlier this year, Maggie noticed business was not going as usual, and she decided to make some changes. You'll hear why Maggie started to only take on new clients willing to commit to six-month engagements, how she's made the most of local networking in a small Canadian town, and how her team has evolved to meet the new needs of the business. Now, let's find out what works for Maggie Patterson. Maggie Patterson, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be here because I love talking about what worked and what didn't in my business. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Sometimes what didn't work is just as valuable as what did work. Um, So on that note, I know that you've made uh, a number of kind of key strategic decisions in the last year or two, um, and namely to focus on bigger local clients looking for longer engagements. And before we get into how those decisions kind of play out in how your business works, I want to understand why those decisions were made in the first place. What was going Going on for you, for your business, in the run-up to these strategic decisions that led you down the path that you're on now? So there was really kind of two things going on. And it was about this time last year, you know, October 2017. And then my business partner, who's since exited the business, and I were sitting at her house and we were like, you know, something's not working here. And we'd really noticed that our flow of leads had changed and just wasn't where we wanted to be. And we had been working for 18 months at that point in the agency. And one of the things we'd always done is really focused on online business owners. And at the point we decided, hey, we don't really want to focus on these types of businesses anymore. Guess what? The leads kind of dried up. And we were at that point, you know, there's four full-time salaries. We're, we're freaking out a little bit. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's go back and audit all of our clients and figure out what's really going on. And what kind of clients are most ideal for us? And what we found was so interesting. It was our most profitable clients, our most pleasurable clients uh, were really the ones that came through our personal networks, either locally or from you know longstanding professional relationships. They were willing to pay us more money. And it was really just a different caliber of clients. They were like, okay, so how do we get more of these clients? And at the same time, you know, we were building out a second brand around mentoring and a mastermind. I was like, we're never going to have time to do this if we are constantly in the weeds with online businesses that are super, super demanding. So these types of clients are more ideal for our team to work with. And they have the expectation of that agency environment versus having the owner hands-on working in their business. So kind of with those two things, we're like, 
we started to pivot who we traditionally worked with. And I'm so glad I can say a year later, I'm so glad we made that move. (laughs) Mm, That's awesome. All right. I'd love to get a little bit more kind of into the details of how the strategic planning process actually worked. So what kind of tools or processes or, you know, even what kind of timeouts did you take in the process of understanding who these clients were and how you were going to bring more of them into the business? So, you know, one of the things we actually talked about in that conversation we had was, and I think it's one that comes up for a lot of business owners is, do we need a salesperson? And I actually took great offense to that because I think I'm actually really proficient at sales. So (laughs) what we did from there is we really pivoted my role to be focused on lead generation. And as part of that conversation, we had to rejig a lot of my responsibilities to other people on the team in terms of client management. Uh, A lot of the day-to-day content creation for clients had to move to someone else. And we had to really change my role to be in that, you know, kind of VP sales and marketing role. And as part of that planning process, we had to create a lot of white space. So I had a lot of time (laughs) to figure out, you know, who is in my network? What do I need to be doing? Who are all these people I know over my almost 20-year career that could be potential clients. So I really spent that entire quarter, probably about half my time really committed to that, trying to figure out, you know, how do we recover this lead flow and come out stronger for the next year? Wow. So that's a considerable amount of time. Can you tell us, um, kind of walk us through maybe, and, and, and maybe your day doesn't look like this right now, but especially yes. in that time where you were really trying to uh, reinvigorate that lead generation process where you were trying to 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 get the the new people flowing back into the business again. What were some of the specific tasks that you were doing on a day to day basis to make that happen? So my motto during that time was every single day I had to talk to people, and that it, it's so so easy when we work behind a computer to go an entire day and not connect with people, Mm -hmm. to not leave our house, to basically hide out and do our thing. And for me, especially like I am completely an introvert. So to the fellow introverts, like this, not an excuse, you still need to do it. So I put on my, from another fellow introvert, (laughs) (laughs) I put on the first thing I did is I started looking for events locally. And, you know, one of the objections I hear a lot from people is like, well, I live in a small town. Guess what, guys? I live in a town of 500 people. Like there is nothing happening here. We got a pizza place and a post office. There's not much, but I have a lot of things around me. So I started trying out local events, Chamber of Commerce, Women in Business. And then I got to those events and I was like, oh, there's something here. Guess what? I can walk in here and be one of the smartest people in the room. Whereas online, there's a lot of smart people. So I was like, because I have a different perspective than everyone else in that room. So that enabled me to make a lot of connections really quickly and really parlay that into some business, you know, a couple months later. And then the other thing I did was going back and looking at my professional network, I spent a lot of time reconnecting with past clients, reconnecting with people I'd work with that were in different corporate roles, just really reinvigorating my network and investing in those people, letting them know that, hey, I am open for business because you can't assume that people know. Like I had assumed people knew what I was doing. And I was like, oh, guess what? There's this entire pool of people I haven't tapped in years that all think I've moved on to something else. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you talked about the local events and your local network in the way that you did, because that's my experience as well, is that even though I haven't pivoted my business to focusing more on local clients, I have certainly made an effort over the last five years or so to plug into my local business owner network. And I'm always surprised just how brilliant they think I am. It's so Um, good for the ego. It is. It is. And it's like, you know, I'm in a room and I'm thinking how brilliant they are. And they've created these incredible businesses and created amazing jobs for the people that work for them. But they look at our experience with social media, with digital marketing, with email marketing, with even just working remotely and handling Mm -hmm. clients remotely. And they want a piece of that, right? They want that information just the same way that we want the information about their businesses. And then we find these beautiful synergies where they can become our clients and and we can become their clients. And it really works. Even if you're an online business, it makes so much sense to get into your local network, whether you want local clients or not. Um, and I'm also glad that you made a point of saying uh, that you've been spending time reconnecting with past clients, with past business relationships, and re-announcing that you are open for business. Because again, that's my experience too, is that you know people think you're doing one thing when really you stopped doing that 10 years ago and you're doing something else. Um, and And if they knew that, they'd want to do business with you. Such simple tasks, but really the things that ultimately are the foundation of everything that works in terms of marketing and and lead gen. So, 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 so important. Okay, let's take a look now at kind of how these new types of clients for you have really impacted your business. How has focusing on on local clients, bigger clients, clients with uh, uh, you know longer engagements with you as an agency, how's that impacted your business as a whole? So number one thing is longer engagements are easier for ours to manage because we aren't doing the kind of project work where we're parachuting in and out of someone's business. And there's always so much context missing or there's, you know, we lack a shorthand when we're doing ongoing work month in month out for a client, we can provide a better work product. And ultimately, in my experience, it's much, much easier for me not to be involved on a day-to-day basis for the smart cookies on my team to really take that mantle and run with it. And that frees up my time to really focus on running the business. And, you know, the other thing is there's a revenue stability there, which when you have, in my case, I have a full-time employee and I have a number of contractors and I like to be able to pay people in a timely manner. So, you know, it really creates this consistency and cash flow where we're not having these dips in the business where I'm like, oh man, I need to go into the savings account and pull money out to run payroll. I don't want to have to do that. And with that kind of longstanding, stable revenue, I don't have to. I know that baseline expenses are covered and everything is good and everyone's getting paid and I'm putting money in the bank, which makes me very happy as a business owner. Amen to that. Can you define for us what one of these longer engagements looks like? What does sort of your typical uh, proposal uh, time frame kind of look like? So typically for, you know, we, we are a content marketing agency. So we do a lot of ongoing blogging for clients, ongoing email, uh, case study programs, those types of content assets for clients. So they need them month in, month out. So typically when we engage with a client, we're looking at at least a six month engagement. And because they're corporate clients in a lot of cases, 
we're looking at, you know, engagements that are not $500 a month, you know, they're multiple thousands or more. And we know, okay, so this is our deliverables are higher. We're paying, we're getting paid way more for those things than we would um, in the online world, which is very, very refreshing to me. I love it getting paid more. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie. Getting paid more for longer, improving your cash flow. Yes. This all sounds very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. It's very happy for me. And, you know, it's really made me realize that as a company, like I see where the growth potential is now, whereas before I was like, I don't know, we're just going to kind of roll with it. Yeah. Okay. So I want to come back to that, the growth potential. But first, before we get there, because I I think just even talking about growth potential could be a little scary. um, Let's talk about your team, because you've mentioned your team a few times. You've mentioned how your your personal role has shifted in the business. What does your team look like now? And how are they engaging with the clients that you have? So my team right now is myself, and then I have a full-time employee, Sarah, who also happens to be my sister. But as I always say, she had lots of marketing experience before she came to me. Right. <laughs> I didn't just hire her because of the sister connection. Although it makes, um, she's been firing me from lots of things this year, and it's actually been great because she knows how to tell me as her big sister to like knock it off, which is <laughs> fabulous. Um, and then we have a number of different contractors. So we have a content coordinator, an email specialist and then a designer, and then some other contractors that kind of filter in and out of the business. So a very small, lean team, but um, you know, with the full-time and almost full-time people in the business, it creates a lot of stability day in, day out. And we, they know what their days are going to look like, and I know they're going to be there. Gotcha. And so what kind of, what kind of relationship does your team members have with the clients that you're working with? Are they working... Like, are, are they interfacing with them directly or are you managing that in some way? Yeah, Sarah is involved in every single client account and she, there's a number of them. She manages everything from top to bottom. Uh, she manages the contractors on the account. And the only place I'm really involved is setting the strategy for the client and occasionally looking at a document and saying, oh, you know what, I would change this or this and really letting them run with that so that I don't have to have my hands on every single thing because one of the things I've really struggled with personally is getting past that point where I have to see everything that goes out the door. That's not for the type of work we do and the amount of content we're creating a month. It's not sustainable and it's not realistic and it's not really a job I want to do. So kind of picking and choosing where with client engagements uh, is my highest and best use and what do we actually be need to be looking at? And do I need to see that blog post when it goes out the door? Probably not. My team is extremely talented and capable and I need to let them do that. Yeah. How has that process worked for you? I know a lot of people really struggle with the, the bottlenecking at the top, right? Like they, uh, they know they shouldn't have their hands on everything, but they just can't stop themselves. Um, and I, and I think it can almost create sort of an identity crisis, um, a lot of times. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast with, with folks who have kind of grown past that level of being able to put their hands on everything. So how have you kind of step-by-step, or maybe it was cold turkey, how have you kind of extricated yourself from having to look at everything, approve everything, own everything? It's been a long and painful process. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, I think I would like to say, oh, it it was super easy. I did a cold turkey. But the reality was, it is still ongoing. I am still inching my way every single day out of certain things. And I think looking for, for me, looking for that little incremental improvement week over week, like, 
I didn't review quite as much. But, mm. you know, there has been times where I've really relied on my team to say, you know what, Maggie, get out of here. Like, please, enough. And, and really taking that to heart. So for me, it's been these phases, especially this year of being like, okay, so now this specific client account, I'm not going to be involved on a day-to-day basis. And I have to discipline myself not to go in our project management system and creep what's going on. But I, we have a weekly account team update for that reason. And if I have questions, I'm allowed to ask them there. <laughs> I like that. You're allowed to ask them there. My sister's got quite proficient at managing me. Let's just say that. <laughs> we'll hear more from Maggie in just a bit. But now a word from our partners. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. Gearing up to launch a website or blog in 2019? Here's a better idea. Build an online brand that brings people together. Until recently, online business owners like us had to use an array of different platforms, all with separate audiences to build our brands. One platform for courses, another for events, another for your content, and yet another for your community. Not only do none of these platforms work together, but forget about mobile, where we all know people are spending the majority of their time today. At Co-Commercial, we face the same challenge until we found Mighty Networks. With a Mighty Network, online business owners just like you can bring all their business assets together in one place. Your website, your content, your courses, your community, your events, online and off, and you can charge for them, all while building your brand. The best part? When you're ready, you can upgrade to roll all of these features into your own native mobile app under your brand. It's like having your own Silicon Valley startup behind you with none of the headaches. Also, it's totally free to get started. At CoCommercial, we use Mighty Networks to bring together our interactive learning experiences, community roundtables, events, conversations, and behind-the-scenes content all in one place. Visit MightyNetworks.com to see more examples of brands bringing people together via events, classes, memberships, content, and more. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. It's time to start thinking about what you want to accomplish in 2019. If you're like a lot of the small business owners I know, hiring help is high on your list already. But what about the paperwork, the red tape, the legal hoops to jump through, not to mention the money? Gusto makes it easy. We use Gusto to automatically file and pay our taxes, manage time off, and offer benefits. Plus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. So if you want better payroll in 2019, now's the time to start. Try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash what works. That's gusto.com slash what works. So uh, I'm also curious, you, you mentioned how your role has shifted into sort of more of a VP of marketing and sales, but you also, as you said, your your business partner left um, yeah. earlier this year, right? <laughs> so I'm assuming that means your role shifted again. So what is your actual role right now? How do you personally see it? I really, I mean, I am really the founder and CEO at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was in the CEO role and I was really in that kind of CMO VP sales role. And when she left, I had to pick up a lot of things. And the blessing in disguise into that was it really has forced me to step out of a lot of things that I had time to do before that I don't anymore. Uh. Uh, so I've been forced, inc- increasingly forced to discipline myself about what needs to focus on. So really, I'm handling kind of that overall operations vision. 
and overseeing the marketing and sales more than anything else. And I spend a lot of time on new business development, still writing proposals, you know, really doing that front end to get clients in the door, get them set up, doing the strategy work with in conjunction with my team and then get things running along so that my team can handle it on an ongoing basis. Gotcha. Okay. Well then that kind of brings us back, I think, to the growth potential of the business, because I'm sure as founder and CEO now in that seat, that is one of your chief concerns. Where are we going next? How are we growing this thing? What does this look like as we scale it up? What's your vision maybe three years out, five years out for how Scoop Studios can grow? So it's an interesting thing. And I've been struggling with trying to figure this out. Full disclosure, I'm telling everyone all my secrets today. (laughs) And you know, well, with my business partner leaving, it changed the face of the business. I mean, she left, another full-time employee left. And just for the record, everyone, it was amicable. It was just unexpected. Uh, but that really changed kind of the trajectory, our revenue, and everything else in terms of what we had planned. So where I've kind of landed in terms of growth is I can see how Sarah's role in that you know chief content officer kind of role can evolve over time and we can continue to build out our team of writers and taking on larger clients. We definitely have that capacity. And then I'm also playing with, you know, we're some of those more productized services that we can be offering to online business owners that can layer in another stream of income because um, those done right, we have a lot of experience with them and we can manage them in a way that I I believe can be very profitable. Gotcha. And so do you see the... well, you mentioned some some potential additional streams of revenue, but do you yeah. see the, your core offer changing as you grow or do you see just sort of adding more clients kind of engaging with that core offer? I don't really see that the core offer is going to change. I think for us, you know, we're amazing at content marketing and there are so many things we've tried or experimented with over the years, adding them in, taking them out. And I, I really think our strongest business case and why people come to us is for the quality of our content. So really focusing in not so much on, Oh, we're going to niche in this specific area or, um, you know, go after this specific geography, really focusing in on differentiating ourselves with the way we work, um, the experience we provide our clients and the quality product they get at the end, whether that be for a blog or a case study or a set of emails. Gotcha. Okay. So now that we kind of better understand what your vision is for growth, I'm curious what some of the things are that you're doing on a day-to-day basis or that your team's doing on a day-to-day basis to set the groundwork for that growth. Because I have a feeling, you know, a very smart business leader like you is thinking about those things today, right? You can't just expect to have a vision for growth and then just suddenly get there. <laughs> there's there's stuff that you need to do now that creates the capacity for that growth. So what what are the kinds of things that you guys are doing as a team to create the capacity for that kind of growth right now? So honestly, and this is where the messy back end of everyone's business comes yeah. to bear. And in our case, I know for us to be able to scale at all, we have to get our standard operating procedures all updated and locked down. Um, we're kind of in this point where it's working, but I can see 
that it's going to stop working and things are going to start slipping through the cracks. So really looking at every single standard operating procedure from, you know, how we create a blog post for a client to how do we do brand voice documents to how we format our documents, like really tightening that up. And that's something for this specific uh, quarter I really want to focus on as a team because I can see, I can already see where it can break and I don't want it to break because that's not, that's not how we do things around here. So I'm um, getting everyone on the same page in terms of here's all the documented processes. Everything is in the same place and everyone knows not just what needs to be done, but what's expected in terms of service levels and um, the quality of product going out the door. Mm, so when you're updating an SOP, what are you, are, are you the one doing the updating or are team members doing it? How, what are you looking for at, in, in making sure you get those SOPs right? So there are some SOPs I have to be responsible for because <laughs> they're related to things I, I typically do on the operation side. But when it comes to client SOPs, that's definitely something Sarah and Heather on my team are handling because they're the ones that are doing it day in, day out, and they can see what needs to you know, add, change, morph, totally be removed. And, you know, I want them to have a voice in terms of what's not working because they're closest to the clients and they understand um, how things might be shifting or where there might be a deficiency. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to shift gears here as we start to wrap up um, and come kind of come back full circle to how you're finding clients because, you know, you talked about, uh, you talked a lot about using your personal network, using your local network to find clients that were willing to have these longer engagements with you who were, who had more appropriate expectations of what your team was going, how, how you were going to work with them, what the results of that were going to be. And since you are a content marketing agency, I can imagine that there might be some question as to, well, why aren't you using content marketing or how are you using content marketing to find your clients? So can you talk about the role that content marketing plays in your business's marketing process? So for the agency, um, we're kind of the shoemaker's children. <laughs> That's what I wonder. And I mean, yeah. And it's because, you know, the reality I think for a service business like mine is, and at least in my experience is, most of our clients don't read a blog post for like, they're coming right to the website. They're doing that kind of cursory check to make sure we're legitimate. And then they're contacting us or they're going to me directly because there's a relationship. So from a content marketing perspective, you know, we've played with different models for blogging. We definitely still blog and we really use the blog as, um, an avenue to open up conversations. So I will use that as in part of outreach or follow-up with people. I'll use it on LinkedIn to be seen. And, you know, those content marketing efforts have definitely paid off. Um, we focused a lot over the spring and summer on case studies and social proof and testimonials. And guess what? I had people in my network come back, people I knew locally that came and said, oh, I see you're really focusing on case studies and testimonials and reviews. How can you help me with that? Mm. So it's definitely been effective for us, but I really see for us content marketing as a supporting player versus um, it, it, it's no substitute for us at this stage in the game in terms of lead gen for speaking in-person events and really just working my personal network. Gotcha. And do you ever have any kind of like inner critic imposter syndrome kind of thing around that? Or, or are you pretty, pretty good to go with where you're at business wise on your own content marketing? I'm 
you know what? I'm really good because with the other brand, we have small business boss. We do a lot of content marketing. Mm. And so I'm always like, oh, don't worry. We do what we say. We just do it over here. (laughs) (laughs) That makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. But I know that, you know, I've seen, you know, members over at Co-Commercial, you know, they get really concerned that, you know, well, they write content or they do, you know, they help people manage their video, their podcasting. And they're like, but we don't do that for our business because all of our clients come through this way. And does that, is that a bad thing? It's like, well, not if you're getting clients, right? Yeah, they think you need <laughs> not to, if they're happy with results. You need to understand your customer and your customer's journey. So like if you're doing podcast editing, let's say for like mid-sized corporate clients, they're not listening to a podcast about that. They're just not. Like right. the marketing managers and the marketing directors that we tend to work with, they're not sitting down and reading a blog post. They might skim it on LinkedIn and go, oh yeah, she, they're legit. Let's let's work with them. Um, that's that's literally, it's a check mark. So we need something there. Mm-hmm. Um, do we need to create content three times a week for them? Absolutely not. We're not going to get the eyeballs on it. Gotcha. All right. Well, what's next for you and for Scoop Studios? Are there any big projects you've got coming up? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of what's next, I mean, I really think for us, it's, going into this period of, okay, so let's go internal, let's build some foundations, let's re-examine everything that's happened over the last year with my partner exiting and pivoting the business and really looking at for 2019, for 2020, um, where are those opportunities and how can we uh, build something sustainable and not just focused on scale, scale, scale? Because that's one of the things that I fear the most is... I. Scaling the business is one thing, but sustaining the business is an entirely different one. It's really important to me that I'm able to sustain the business because I've been doing this for 13 years and I intend to do it for much, much longer. Mm, Well, that's a beautiful place to end things. Maggie Patterson, thank you so much for this great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Find out more about Maggie Patterson and Scoop Studios at scoopstudios.co. You can find Maggie's podcast, Small Business Boss, wherever you listen to What Works. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.